Father God, I want to thank you for every brilliant person you've gathered here today. It's just my privilege to be able to speak your truth into people's lives. Lord God, I just pray that you would search our hearts and let us be fertile soil, our God, where you can just plant your seeds and let them grow and flourish. Lord, it's my hope to see everyone here running in fullness. And I know that's your hope too. So Lord God, I declare your goodness over everyone right now, that everyone would leave this place encouraged with a spirit of thankfulness all over them. And all God's people said, turn to two people and say it's going to be good. Those of you who have been around the past couple of weeks, I've started a theme that I am calling this um, the spirit of adventure. The spirit of adventure. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's a spirit of adventure. And, and we found, uh, I found a picture of this. Here is the boat right here. This, this boat is called the spirit of adventure. And as this theme goes on, I just know that God instigates a theme in my thinking and I'm obedient to step it out and bit by bit he develops it in me. So I don't know the end yet, but God does and I'm prepared to journey with him and stick my neck on the line and say, God, you've got to give me the next message. But this is what I love about this boat and this revelation came to me this week. It's got many sails. Now, I'm not nautical, naughty, but not nautical. But I reckon it has multiple sails because it's able to catch the wind better. And I wonder if you had just one big sail, whether you would never get the propulsion as lots of little sails. I'm that's a good assumption, is it? And I believe what's happening right now at the Spirit of Adventure, that we are looking like the boat with all the sails down. And God is going to give us the clues to what each sail is. And as you agree with that process, that sail will raise. And the more sails you raise up, the more propulsion you're going to get in your life. Every single one of you has the option to say, I agree with that and put your sail up. Or I disagree with that and not put your sail up. But I can make this promise to you. I will only teach you what the word of God says. This isn't my idea, any of this stuff. This has always been God's idea. So if you disagree, you're welcome to disagree, but you're, you're disagreeing with the word of God and keeping your sail down when all along the principle is that Jesus wants you to have the fullest life. So every principle in his word is for your benefit so that when your sail goes up, your spirit adventure goes faster. Who wants to go faster in life? Who wants to get somewhere quickly? Because God wants that. The theme verse this year at the moment is John 10.10, very, very famous verse. It says this. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I, this is Jesus, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants you to have the fullest life. Do we all agree with that statement? Jesus himself said it. He wants you to win. He wants you to have fullness. He wants you to flourish. That's his heart. So all of his teaching is to end towards that. And so when you start living out God's principles through his word, it's because he wants you to win. Sometimes we wrestle with the principles in the Bible, oh, but that's quite hard. But you know what? If you just raise the sound and say, I submit to that, you're going to go faster and you're going to end up in a place of fullness. That's simple, isn't it? And it's true. Uh, some of what we're going to do today is quite basics. And we've had some stuff uh, in, in, our, in our elders meetings talking about getting the foundations right. And who knows that even if you know some stuff, sometimes having it reaffirmed is good. Yeah. Who knows that Sarah loves me? Not many of you know that, do you? <laughs> who really knows that Sarah loves me? But who also knows when she tells me she loves me, it reaffirms it in me. And I, I can hear that all day, baby. <laughs> As Sarah leaves the building. <laughs> 
So therefore, if you know truth, but when you rehear the truth, it reaffirms it in you. And so some of the things you're going to hear today, you will already know. But I, my hope is that it will just cement your foundations better so that you can spring from that further. Not wobbly foundations, but firm foundations. We're talking about some kingdom stuff today. And when Jesus introduces himself, he, he talks about kingdom a lot. And he is the king of the kingdom. Every kingdom needs a king or a queen. We are the united kingdom. We have a queen. We have royalty. Jesus is royalty. We call him king because of his kingdom. And just to establish that, don't get confused with the kingdom and heaven as our eternal dwelling place. They're kind of separate things, but also the same, just to confuse you a little bit more. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. It's to be experienced now. The kingdom is to be experienced now. You should be experiencing the kingdom now. And who knows the kingdom is a place of health. The kingdom is a place of prosperity. The kingdom is a place of acceptance. You should be experiencing all those things now. The trouble is, sometimes in the Bible, it calls it the kingdom of heaven. And then people start thinking about, oh, well, that's heaven. That's, that's there. But it's actually meaning the same thing. And this is why it means the same thing. You will only find the kingdom of heaven mentioned in the book of Matthew. Matthew is a Jewish writer writing to a Jewish audience. And Jewish people don't use the word God. They revere him so much they won't even say his name. So he doesn't say the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of heaven. But all the people he's writing to understand that. When we read it, we go kingdom of God in Mark, kingdom of heaven in Matthew must be a different thing. He must be talking about our eternal dwelling place. No, 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 he's not. He's talking about exactly the same thing. But they revere God so much they won't say his name. Do you know what perplexes me a little bit? The Hebrew people revere God so much they won't say his name. But in our society, the most used cuss word is Jesus Christ. What a shift it's so far that these people revere God so much they won't say it. And we disdain him so much we use his name as a cuss word. My hope is that church people don't do that. Jesus is the only name by which you are saved. Jesus is the only name who came and said, I want you to have the best and fullest life. And these guys revered him so much they won't even say his name. And when they write it, and they do write it, they miss out all the vowels. So it looks like a weird word. <laughs> because they honor him. The kingdom is the best place to have the fullest life. The only way you'll ever enter the kingdom is through a relationship with Jesus. He says, I am the door. I am the gate. I am the way. It's about Jesus. And so this guy who came down from heaven to lay his life down so that you would have the fullest life. Everything Jesus does is for your benefit. And if we can get a foundation like that, it's very easy to submit to his principles and say, okay, God, I'm submitting to that because you're the king of the kingdom and I'm not. And as you submit to that, it's like you're raising your hands and your sail goes up. And every time you agree with the principle, your sail goes up. And the more sails that go up, the faster your adventure is going to go. Can you see that basic principle? It was interesting. I, I, I was Facebooking earlier in the week and someone had put something on there about these sort of adrenaline junkie people. And they had these little suits on. And as they opened up their arms, they had a wing on them. And as they opened up their legs, they had, a, they had like a, a fin on the legs. And they were jumping off mountains and just going like that. And the guy behind them had one of those GoPros on his head. And you could say, they were, I don't know how fast they were going, hundreds of miles an hour just by doing that. I wonder how fast our lives would go if we would just do that. When the wind of God gets behind you and lifts you, 
You know, we have all these references to eagles, but who knows that eagles soar above the storm because they get on the wind and it lifts them up. That is supposed to be your life. Jesus says, I came that you would have the fullest life. Now, there will be peaks and troughs always, but you know your destiny is fullness. And as you go through the trough, just keep your mind on the fullness. Keep your arms up, your, your sails up, and just watch him take you out of that place. The difficulty we have is when we end in a low place, we take our sails down. And when you take your sails down, if you're looking at a boat, what happens? It stops. The wind can't get it where there's no sail. And so if you're in a low place, let me encourage you, keep doing the right thing. Keep honoring Jesus. Keep putting the principles in place because it's keeping your sails up and the Holy Spirit will blow you out of that place into the place of fullness. It's always been his heart for you. So my title today, if you like titles, is From Blood to Thankfulness. From Blood to Thankfulness. I think the blood, you need to understand the blood's never been more important. But do we understand blood? And I don't want to go mega deep into it. I'm going to kind of scratch the surface, but I hope it's enough for you to get a hold of why it's so, so important. You will know that there's Abraham and Sarah, and they were desperate to have a baby and uh, couldn't conceive. And so they had a chat amongst themselves, and Sarah said to Abraham, look, why don't you just sleep with Hagar? She's our servant girl. She's our slave girl. You could produce a baby with her, and, and we will kind of just adopt it into the family. That's a good idea. And Abraham does that. He sleeps with Hagar, and he produces a baby. They call him Ishmael. Turn to the person next to and say, Ishmael. Uh, and it's good. But then sometime later, God blesses Abraham and Sarah, and they do conceive. Very, very elderly people by this time, but they conceive and they have Isaac. Turn to the person next to you and say, Isaac. Now, it was tradition in their time that they felt to please God, they should sacrifice their firstborn son. That's what they believed they had to do at that time. Those of you who are familiar with Shane Willow's teaching, and I, I encourage you to listen to him, it's so good. When you look at the journey of the Bible, God gets nicer and God gets closer all the way along. It starts off with Abraham looking up, because that's all he knows. That God's up there somewhere. But it ends up with the spirit of the living God lives in you. And it takes you on this journey from being up there to being in here. And it was always true, but God had to take mankind on a journey to get us there. We couldn't get the truth straight away. We had to go on a journey. And there's all these different bloodshed along the way. And it's like, well, what's going on? But they had to handle the steps at a time so they could understand what was always true from the beginning but weren't able to grasp it. God has always been getting closer and been getting nicer in terms of man's understanding. So, so Abraham now, because of their tradition, has to take Isaac and sacrifice him. Here's, here's a misconception I want you to get today. When you picture that, you're picturing Isaac as a baby. Isaac would have certainly been 30 plus. He would have been in his 30s. Can I suggest 33? He would have been in his 30s. We know this because you can see the timeline if you delve into it. And also, he carried, he carried the wood for his own altar up the mountain. Does a baby do that? So he's a, he's a man. He's a fully grown man. And he's going up the mountain. He knows what's coming, but he's willing to do it because he's the firstborn. And they get there, and they lay out the altar, and this 30-something-year-old man lays down. His dad's about 100. He could have fought him off. Who knows that a 30-year-old man's going to beat up a 100-year-old man? Could have been, but he chose to, to honor his dad and laid him there. Who knows the tears rolling down Abraham's face as he's having to sacrifice his son because he so wants to honor God. But then he looks over, and God says to him, look, there's a ram in the thicket. There's a ram stuck there. You don't have to do this anymore. I'm taking you on a new journey to show you my goodness. It's better than that. Let him off. 
put the ram in its place. They sacrifice the lamb. When they sacrifice the lamb, what flows? Blood. Blood flows from the lamb. You find later on when the the Israelite people are in captivity in, in Egypt that God is trying to shift Pharaoh's hard heart. And he says, we're going to have to do something extreme here. I'm going to send in the angel of death. Who knows that God can even command the angel of death? It's kind of freaky right there. But he's the king of kings. He oversees everything. And so he speaks to the people. He says to Moses, get everyone now to find a spotless lamb. To the person next to him say, spotless. It's a perfect lamb. And I want you to kill that lamb so that the blood flows. And I want you to put some of that blood on the lintels of the door, on the doorposts. And the angel of death is coming in tonight. But where he sees the blood, he will pass over. Which is where we get the word Passover from. Death passes over when it sees the blood. So, so important. The blood has never been more important. Who knows that once Adam and Eve sinned, went against God, disobeyed him, they were separated from him. One of the next things to happen was murder. Cain killed Abel. When Abel was killed, what flowed? The blood flowed. And it interests me this, and you need to grab hold of this. Genesis 4 verses 9 and 10 says this. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know. Who knows when you've done something wrong, you like, you distance yourself from it. I don't know. He killed him. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Look, listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Who knows that blood speaks to the father? It always has done and always will do. It's part of his language. The blood carries the essence of life in it and it speaks something to the father. Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. He understands it. God hears the blood speak. Enter Jesus, the king of the kingdom, who declares, I came that you would have fullness. The whole reason I'm here is that you would have the fullest life. That you would experience what the kingdom is like now. One day you will end up in heaven where there will be no contest to the kingdom. But right now the kingdom is at hand, but there's a contest in it. There is good and bad. The thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. Who knows in heaven the thief's not going to be there. There will be no contest. We'll be flourishing without contest. We can now flourish, but there's a contest. And there's a contest every day in our thinking and our hearts. But as we agree with the king of the kingdom, our sails go up and we go on this adventure into life, into fullness, into health, into prosperity, into hope, because that is what Jesus has always been about. Jesus came, and he carried his own wooden cross to a high place. He was 33 years old. Isaac carried his own wood to the high place in his 30s. And Jesus spread his his arms out and said, Forgive them, they don't know what they do. And his blood flowed. You see, the reality is Isaac needed a ram. But I want to say to you that Jesus is our ram. Every single one of us has done stuff we're not proud of. But Jesus said, I go to the cross willingly so that my blood covers you. It's always been about the blood. Do you know when it happened? At Passover. You see, in the Old Testament, we see the shadows of what's really true. 
We see a Passover lamb and then we have Jesus, the Passover lamb. We have a ram positioned to, to save Isaac and we have Jesus positioned to save each of us. Why? Because the blood flows and it speaks something to the father. Interestingly, when you look at Abel, he says his blood cries out to me. But look what he says in Hebrews 12, 24. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What word does the blood of Abel speak? It speaks of injustice. I did nothing wrong. I just brought a sacrifice to my God, and you killed me for it. I didn't deserve it. It's injustice. Well, how about Jesus speaks of justice for us? It's a better word. We get what we don't deserve because Jesus took it for us. Abel got what he didn't deserve. But each of us get Jesus. It speaks a better word. The blood is so, so, so important. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Who knows that Jesus died a death so that our sin is covered. And I wanted to hear, because I discuss this quite a lot with uh, you know, our unchurched friends who inevitably find out what we do, and they say, but I'm a good person. And yeah, everyone probably thinks they're a good person. But the tr trouble is everyone's a sinner. Because sin basically means missing the mark. And don't tell me that this week just gone by, every single person in this room hasn't missed the mark somewhere. Don't tell me that every person you know in your whole life this week hasn't missed the mark somewhere. Hasn't thought something wrong, hasn't said something wrong, hasn't done something wrong. Hasn't done something they're not proud of, looking at, oh, I didn't handle that very well. That's missing the mark. God calls that sin. It doesn't mean you're the worst person in the world. But it does mean you're a sinner. But we don't like the word sinner, do we, in church anymore? Because it's a little a bit uncomfortable. But that's the reality. But the wages of sin is death. But Jesus died my death. And so therefore, he sets me up for the full life. Not because I deserve it, but because he loves me. The word uses three, three different words. It uses sin, which is missing the mark. Then it uses transgression. Transgression is doing a sin on purpose. When you know you're doing it, but you choose to do it anyway. But you know what? Jesus died for that too, because he loves me. And then it goes into iniquity. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. Iniquity is a lifestyle of sin. When you've made, missed the mark and quite liked it. And then you thought, I'm doing it again because I really liked it. And then you do it cyclically. You keep doing it. It becomes part of who you are and part of your lifestyle. That is iniquity. But God says, I will remember your iniquity no more. Yeah. So even when you have this horrible life cycle, do you know what? God still loves you. Yeah. I think people come to church and they feel like the worst Christian in history. Anyone ever been in an environment like that where you think, I'm just the worst Christian ever? Come on. I'm sure no one's going to admit that, are they? But that's true. I reckon all of you, at some point on your journey, have felt like a rubbish Christian. But you need to remind yourself in that moment that the blood speaks a better word. The blood is what saves me. Jesus decided on your behalf to pay your debt so that you could have the fullest life. And when you fully grasp that, it changes everything. Do you know what? You may go out tomorrow and make a horrendous mistake. Do you know what? But the blood speaks a better word. You might go out on Tuesday and do it again. But the blood speaks a better word. Yeah. And so suddenly you find yourself in this place when you understand the blood, you understand the life you can have because of the blood. Yeah. See, now you're never squashed. Even in your most darkest moment, you're never squashed. You're always lifted up because Jesus loved you so much. We get a choice now. Galatians 4 verse 30 says this, 
What does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. What's that talking about? That's talking about Ishmael and Hagar. You see, what they represent is man's effort at bearing fruit. We, I know, God, you've promised us something, but we're waiting a long time. Anyone been waiting a long time on a promise of God? And in the end, you start thinking, do you know what? I'll just sort, I can sort this out myself. Because clearly God doesn't know what he's doing, so I need to step in and help the big man. I've got this one, God. Don't worry. Clearly you need a bit of help right now. Well, that's where they were living. And they were frustrated. It was something they desperately wanted. It was the desire of their heart. And how many people, I wonder, are clinging on? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you desires of your heart. And you're thinking, come on then. Any chance? This year would be good. That's where they've been living. Hallelujah. I think something's shifting in a lot of people's worlds right now. But they took into their own hands what God said he would do and ended up with Ishmael. Later, we find out that that will never be the way you inherit the kingdom of God. Because it's effort. It's driven by bondage. She was a slave woman. He slept with the slave woman and built into bondage. But Jesus always wanted you to have freedom. Genesis 16, 12 says this. This is what the Bible says, God says, of Ishmael. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Could you just leave that on the screen a moment? That is a biblical description of Ishmael. He was conceived in bondage and slavery. And I want to suggest this to you. He represents man's effort to please God, man's effort to do his own thing to bear fruit, but it ends up in a place of bondage, of fighting, and of strife. Do you know this? When we talk about Christianity and our forefathers, we say Abraham and Isaac. Islam, when they talk about their forefathers, they say Abraham and Ishmael. Here is a description of Ishmael. Is that today a description of some that you associate with Islam? It's right there. When you try and do things your own way, you end up in a right pickle. You end up in war, you end up fighting, you end up in strife. But when you say, God, I'm just going to do it your way because Jesus, your way is the only way to fullness, I submit to you. Right now, I could do with you stepping in, but I'm going to believe for you anyway. And you submit to his kingship, he will lead you into a place of freedom. Do you know what Isaac means? Laughter. He will lead you to a place of joy. And his joy will be your strength. You see, Jesus always came that you would have freedom. He always came that you would have fullness. Our trouble is we wrestle and try to do it our own way. And all the way through the Bible, every time anyone tried to do it their own way, they end up in a mess. And yet we still do it. Could this be the year under the spirit of adventure where we say, God, I'm not going to wrestle anymore. I'm just going to submit to your kingship. I'm just going to live my life the way you say in your word to live it. Because do you know what? I've ended up here so far. I wonder where I could go if I actually did it your way. Do you know? Where would you be sat this time next year if you actually submitted to his kingship? Didn't wrestle with all the principles, just said, I'm just going to do it your way. Because biblically speaking, when you don't, you end up with an Ishmael. And no one wants an Ishmael. Well, that's a bit harsh. There's some great lads out there called Ishmael, I'm sure. It takes us to a place of grace. 
Because when you understand the blood, you have to understand grace. Because grace, a simple meaning can mean undeserved favor. Getting something you don't deserve is grace. And so here Jesus laid down his life and shed his blood just because he loves you, not because you deserved it, and it's grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You see, this is Paul who had a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan. He had something in his life, we're not 100% sure what it was, but he had something he wasn't proud of. It was a disability, an illness, a habit, it could have been any of those things. But he was going, God, just I don't want to do this and live like this anymore. I don't want to struggle with this anymore. And God said, but my grace is sufficient for you. It's all right, I've got you. But what grace does is it doesn't give you uh, the ability to carry on living how you want. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry on doing that thing and carry on doing that thing because God's grace is enough. What grace really does is gives you the opportunity to make a good choice. To say, I understand that Jesus died for me. And therefore, I want to honor that. And so I'm not going to carry on living this way, which displeases him. Even though I wrestle with it, I'm going to carry on living this way to please him because I understand he loves me. And grace gives us the opportunity to make that choice, not the opportunity just to keep doing what we want. And so grace positions us now with an opportunity in 2017 to say, God, I'm going to live by your principles. If there was no grace, you are doomed because we've all missed the mark. But his blood speaks a better word and positions us in grace to make a great choice. And so this year, I wonder if we could fully grasp the blood and fully grasp grace. And because of those things, live a life that represents that concept. And go on, a spirit of adventure. I believe the start of this adventure begins with grace. When we start understanding it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, you want to have the best year? Get at the feet of Jesus. You want to have the best year? Get some honor to Jesus in your life. You want to have the best year? Start putting the principles of Jesus in your life. And every time you do, a sail goes up. And your adventure begins. You might be someone sat in church who believes some of it. And that's cool. You know, you're all clever people. Do what you've got to do. But only half your sails will go up. And you'll trundle along and it'll be okay. But there will be people who meet Jesus later who shoot straight past you. Why? Because they're not arguing, contesting it. They're just going, the Bible says this, I'm doing it. And God just gets behind them. And they go to a place and they're like, wow. You know, I, I, I don't know if you like people like T.D. Jakes or Joyce Mayer or Stephen Furtick or Brian Houston. Who knows? Those guys live like that. They have just gone somewhere. And I love it. It inspires me. What must they have gone through so that God could trust them to lead so many thousands of people? And for me as a leader, I want to say, get on my knees. God, just do what you've got to do in me. Just rub off the edges of where I keep messing up. Because I want to live like that. And when I live like that, my life, my marriage, my parenting, my church and ministry will go somewhere fast. And the principles are true for you too. What happens is when you grasp the blood and you grasp the grace, it leads you to a place where you're thankful. And I believe the first sale God wants you to put up this year is the sale of thankfulness. I think sometimes we live life with so much and yet just want so much more. You know, uh, my Josh, you know, he played drums today, so proud of him, 12 years old, doing a great job, and Dan, thanks so much for 
coaching him through and, and Matt for leading him and IRCI at the back there going, come on down. <laughs> but he's 12 years old, you know. We're growing a generation of kids who are going to go further than us. We've got a nine-year-old supercarter. It's good. And the girls are just as talented too. I'm sure they'll come to the fore as well. It's just so amazing. But when you start grasping thankfulness, you know, we've trained that in Josh to a degree. I mean, he always wants more. He's 12 years old. Of course he does. But when you give him a gift, he, he demonstrates that he jumps around. He does roly-polies. I was going to get a video up, but I didn't want to over-egg it too much. But he goes on a mad one when he gets the gift he wants. But what that does as a parent, the giver of the gift, is thinking, oh, he's, he's really grateful for that. It does something on the inside of me. Do you, want, do you know what that makes me want to do? Give him some more. But who knows when you're saying, God, give me this. God, give me that. He wants to give it to you. And when he gives it to you, you go, oh, that's that box ticks. God, give me this. God, give me that. And we're living a life just saying, God, give me, give me, give me. A man after midnight. (laughs) I've never prayed that prayer. But you see the concept. It was interesting that um, the very first time Josh drummed some weeks back, um, it really moved Johnny Steele. And uh, John's a man's man. I love old Johnny. And um, they knew that Josh was desperate to have the, the game, the Xbox game, FIFA 17, which any of you who are in the know costs a lot of money. And we'd said to Josh, yeah, you can have that, but, you know, let's just, just build up to it. Let's put some money aside. We're trying to teach him the principles of saving. Josh tithes all of his pocket money. goes in the bucket. He tithes it every single week. We're training a 12-year-old boy to understand the principle. And he's been doing that for some time, and he drums. And John rings me up, and John knows that he wants, um, he wants this game. And he says, Barry, has he got it yet? I said, no. He said, do you mind if I buy him it? Because I just want to encourage him for stepping out in his gift. And so I said, go for it, go for it. So me and Sarah all at home all giddy. <laughs> We know what's coming. And uh, they knock at the door, and there's Johnny and Sarah still standing at the door with this gift wrapped up. And I call Josh down. Josh, Josh, Johnny's here. He loves Johnny. Johnny and Sarah's here. Oh, Johnny, oh, great, great. He comes running down. And John, Johnny goes to him, uh, Josh, I just want to encourage you. It really impressed me getting out on the drums that day. You know, young guy, just, just felt like to do this for you. And gives him the gift, and he opens it up. And when he sees it, he didn't go on a mad one, but he just looked at Johnny. And Johnny, I think Johnny and Josh had a moment. <laughs> A little bit of a bromance kicked off. <laughs> but they both, they both missed it up a little bit, and Josh just went to him and just hugged him. Now, if anyone knows Josh, John, Johnny, he hates hugging. <laughs> it's just true right there, and it says. But he leant into him, and they hugged, and I'm telling you, it was a good minute. And now those of you who are uncomfortable with hugging, doesn't a minute feel like six years? <laughs> but they hugged each other, and it was a moment of thankfulness. And I know that moved Josh, and I know it moved Johnny, the giver of the gift. And I wonder if actually we need to get ourselves to a place where we're thankful for what God's already done for us. Do you know what? If God gave you nothing, if God never answered one more prayer you ever pray, he's already done enough. The reality is none of us really want to hear that. We actually secretly want God to do all things for us. The great thing is he wants to do that because he wants you to have the fullest life. But I believe it starts when we get the side of thankfulness up to say, thank you for what you've already done. Your blood cries out on my behalf. Do you know what? Your accuser goes to heaven and he says, Io, 
Io's done this. Io didn't do that. Io said that. Io thought this. And do you know what Jesus says? Yeah, but the blood. And there is nothing the accuser can do about it. Zero. Because it came from a spotless lamb. It had no guile in it. And it's the same for all of us. If we could fully get that, our accuser has nothing on us ever because of the blood. Isn't that a place to be thankful from? And of course, God by his nature is a giver. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's who he is. And so therefore, he will give you stuff. So don't walk out of here thinking, oh, Pastor Barry says I'm not going to get anything. You will. But you know what? When you get the side of thankfulness up, you're going to flow quicker for where God wants you to get. Hebrews 12, 28 says this. (coughs) Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Isn't it great that when we come into a praise environment, we're like, thank you, Jesus. Why are we saying thank you? Because of the blood. He's done it once and for all. No more sacrifice. Once and for all. He deserves our thanks. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15 says this. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. You'll have grace covering your every decision, your every process, everything that's going on in your world. His grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, be thankful. He has done enough. And he loves you. And he's your dad. But I wonder so often if we live with a sense of entitlement. That I'm a child of the king, so I deserve some stuff. That I've worked hard, and so therefore I should have some stuff. Or we live with a sense of comparison. That I'm a gifted guy or a gifted girl and that person's earning 20 grand a year more than me and it just doesn't seem right. And God, what are you playing at? That, that's not on. That, that person is, is flourishing in this sport and that person is flourishing in, in music and that person's doing that. And we look around and we compare ourselves with everyone else instead of saying, thank you for the blood. We're just looking at what everyone else has got. And do you know what? I guarantee you the people who have got will want more. Because whenever you get what you want, you always want a bit more. But when you come to a place of genuinely understanding the blood, genuinely understanding grace, you don't need any more. And it causes you to be thankful. And when you're in a position of thankfulness, do you know what happens? God will give you more. But it's something that goes on in here and something that goes on up here which shifts it. And I believe it's a spirit of thankfulness. Can I give you a Kesed verse? Psalm 107 verses 8 and 9 says this. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. That word there is chesed. We spell it with a K. It should be spelled with a C-H. Chesed. We decided to spell it with a K because English people would think we're called cheesed. But chesed means unfailing love. Chesed means loving kindness. And we want to be a church that loves people and never gives up loving people. That's what God does for us. Let them give thanks because our God isn't going to give up loving us ever. His love is unfailing. His wonderful deeds for mankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. There's the heart of the Father right there. He wants you to flow in goodness. He wants you to live satisfied. Jesus said, I came that you would have life and life to the full. Not life to the half. Not life to the just about. Life to the full. But he sets in place principles to walk that fullness out. One of them, I believe, is thankfulness. 
And so I wonder if today could be a day where you have a look at your attitudes and you get rid of the entitlement, you get rid of the comparison, you get rid of the frustration, and you start saying, thank you, God, for what you've already done for me. Because let me tell you this, the job interview will come. But when you enter that job with a sense of entitlement, you come across not great. But when you enter that job with a sense of thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, if I get it, great. If I don't, great, because you're with me and your blood covers me. When you enter the room like that, you enter with a bit of humility, with confidence, and there's a different outcome. When you enter the relationship you've been crying out to God for for a long time, if you enter there full of frustration, full of resentment, full of comparison, how's she ever going to like me because there's far better looking guys in the world? How's he ever going to like me because there's taller women in the world? How's he ever going to like me because, 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 because? And we compare ourselves with others rather than saying, thank you God for making me me. I'm happy with how you made me. Your blood covers me. Your grace is sufficient for me. It's lifting me up. And I'm in a good space. And when I enter that relationship, I'm going to be the real me. And if they don't like me, cool. Because I like me. But the chances are, from that place, you are more attractive. I want to tell you the truth. That the body looks, of course they play a part. But less of a part than have an attractive spirit about you. And when you are satisfied with who you are and you understand the blood, it makes you more attractive anyway. Nothing wrong with taking care of your body, of course. But what's going on inside counts for so much more than we realize. As we get into that place of thankfulness, what we're really doing is putting the first sail up. I believe God wants to take every single one of you on an adventure this year. And it will take you to a place of fullness. But each week I'm going to come and I'm going to challenge you with a new sail. Some weeks are going to be uncomfortable, mainly for me having to say it. But I wonder whether you're going to say, okay, I'm not going to contest this. It's in the word. I'm putting the sail up. And I wonder how many sails we will be prepared to put up to the point where we look like the boat I showed you earlier, the spirit adventure, which is ready to go somewhere. Could you be thankful? Could you look at your life and be thankful because of the blood, because of his grace, because of who he's called you to be? I wonder if I could just get you to stand. I think I'm just going to pray for you. Jesus. I just invite you just to close your eyes, just to give the person next to you a moment, and just so that you can give the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, your full attention. Lord, thank you for the soft hearts that are in this room right now. I sense it. I know you as our loving Father is looking down and bursting with pride over your children. Because I know, Lord God, there are hearts in here that are saying, God, just do in me what you've got to do. Shift my attitudes. Shift my thought processes. Because they are going to shift my future. Lord, the reality is we can't really change the past, but we can change the future. So I want to challenge every one of you in the room right now to make a choice right now. For the things that you have not been proud of, you let them go right now. They're in the past. You can't do anything about them. His blood covered them. 
His grace is still sufficient for you. But today is a new day. And because of His grace, you get the opportunity to make a new choice. Lord, we want to say sorry for where we've been judgmental. Lord, we want to say sorry from where we've compared ourselves to other people. We want to say sorry for where we've been angry. We want to say sorry for where we've been frustrated for no real reason at all. But we want to say thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood that covers each and every one of us. Thank you that you have said that you will remember it no more. All that's gone before. Thank you that as far as the east is from the west, that's where our sin is. There's a continual movement. Sin going one way, our lives going the other. Never to meet again. I just want to give you an invitation with every eye closed. If you're someone today who says, yes, I'm coming on this journey. I'm, I want that spirit of adventure. And I am prepared to raise the sail of thankfulness. If that's you, I want you to put both hands in the air right now. In effect, raising a sail, saying, Lord, help me to be more grateful. Help me to have a spirit of thankfulness about my life. Help me to change my future because of the spirit about me. Help me to enter new relationships with gratefulness. Help me to enter job opportunities with thankfulness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, that I can enter any health situation with thankfulness. Even if I get a bad report, I can be thankful because you've already covered it. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now you just fall upon your people. You'd rest on us and cause us to be thankful. You'd let all resentment go. And you would remind us and remind us and remind us of your blood. That every morning when we wake up, we'd say, thank you for your blood. It covers me today. Thank you for your grace. It's sufficient for me today. I'm going to live in that place that you set me to. I didn't do it myself, but you did it for me. And I'm thankful. Bless your church, Lord God. We declare this is going to be an exceptional year for everyone here. For everyone willing to go on the journey. It's going to be an exceptional year. I declare it over you. Let's worship him.